Welcome to Signs of Life, Exploring Survival of Consciousness, brought to you by Forever Family Foundation, on the web at foreverfamilyfoundation.org. I call your name, the echo is haunting, the echo is always the same. I call your name, the echo is haunting, an echo can never be changed, so I call your name. Hello and welcome to Signs of Life Radio. I'm your host, Bob Ginsberg, and our guest tonight is Dr. Mo Hanna. And before I introduce uh, Dr. Hanna, uh, a couple of housekeeping notes. Let's see. The um, summer raffle is in full swing where you can win a reading with one of five certified mediums of Forever Family Foundation. Uh, so it's five dollars a chance. And if you'd like to have that opportunity, you go to the events page of foreverfamilyfoundation.org and you can register. Um, our grief retreats, um, and by the way, tonight's guest is, is a fixture at them. So some of you, if you've been to a grief retreat, chances are you've seen uh, Dr. Hannah. Uh, our Connecticut retreat is filled and our California retreat is filled. But just as a heads up, in two weeks, we're going to be opening registration for our Florida retreat, which would be in January. Uh, and then, you know, more retreats to follow after that. Um, and then we have a couple of great webinars coming up, one this month, one next month. So you can also enroll in those by visiting the website. So that's out of the way. Uh, Dr. Mohanna is a full-time professor of psychology at Siena College and maintains a private practice as a clinical psychologist in the Albany area of New York State. She's on the Academic Advisory Board of Forever Family Foundation and is always volunteering her services uh, in many capacities, and she uses her knowledge constantly to help support those in grief. Uh, She's the co-founder of the Battered Mothers Custody Conference. Um, She has authored or edited a number of books, articles, and presentations revolving around many psychological topics, including grief therapy. She's trained in eye movement desensitization, reprocessing therapy, EMDR is a lot easier to say, (laughs) uh, induced after death communication, which we'll touch upon tonight, and the cognitive behavior approaches, among others. Uh, uh, Website is motoresehannahphd.com. Well, welcome to, to the show. It's a pleasure, as always, to talk to you again, Mo. Thank you, Bob. The feeling is always mutual. Yeah. I thought... You know, before, um, you know, I mentioned uh, some people may be familiar with you already because you're involved in so many things with the foundation. But you know, before we get into some of the professional stuff, um, and I, I'm going to get into some of the questions that people have emailed in or that come up constantly. Uh, by the way, um, if, if you uh, out there, you know, wish to have a question for Dr. Hannah, you could call into the show. It's 888 888- Six two seven six zero zero eight. So, I wonder if you could just we could start off with your, your personal thoughts, not wearing your psychologist or prof- professorial hat, but your personal thoughts about life there after death, and 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 
has that affected the way that you um, interact with your patients? Oh, it sure does. And I, I think that it, it opens up an entirely new and broader vista in working with people because Bob, you and I both know that um, even though we're in seemingly a more enlightened and open-minded age, I think uh, the topic of life after death, although it's, as again, it's it's far more um, commonplace to talk about these days than it was even, you know, 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago. I think people often are reluctant to bring it up and to, you know, access that part of our human experience. Um, and so I think my own openness and the kind of like the realizations that I've had through my own struggles, my own experiences, you know, my own losses, you know, there's that silver lining. It's, it's made me more, I think, more able to reach other people who perhaps would like to talk about this, who would like to share about their own experiences. And, you know, in therapy, especially, and in particular, when people have lost loved ones, when people come in for therapy, for grief therapy, or for for supportive therapy, uh, when they are in grief, the ability to talk to someone who really gets it, quite frankly, and validates the person's uh, beliefs and experiences I think is very helpful. And I've also seen the field of grief therapy change quite a bit, um, as you probably have as well, uh, because you've been involved with this, you know, I think a bit longer than I have, but somewhere around the same time, I think we experience losses and it really does open you up. And I've seen grief, the field of grief therapy become much more open to the idea that love never ends and that um, we are always potentially in contact with our, our loved ones. And I, I, I agree. I mean, yeah. I've seen a change over the years. Yeah. 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 You know, and when I myself, um, with my own loss and, you know, I think, you know, some of us have had multiple losses. I've had multiple losses. You've had multiple losses. I think many people have multiple losses. Um, but when I've re- received what's called more traditional grief therapy, you know, about uh, 15 years ago, I, quite frankly, I did not find it helpful. It it completely um, eliminated or 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 over overlooked the idea that love never ends, you know. And the reason we feel that intensity of pain is because the love is so intense, and that the love we have for our loved ones still exists, and our loved ones' love for us still exists. And these are all ideas until you realize them, until you experience them, until they become real for you. Mm-hmm. So there is that silver lining that when you've been through these kinds of losses and you have in, in, you know, integrated those losses and come to some sort of spiritual connection with the person that has passed, that that is something you can sort of emanate out to others and, and hopefully foster in others and at the very least be open to in others. Yeah. I, I really appreciate what you say. You know, uh, very early on, I, I you know, uh, before the, the foundation, uh, I went to one or two um, grief counselors. And there's a difference. Then you, you sense it right away. And whether the, the therapist or the mental health professional 
um, when you bring up something involving life after death, whether they, you can see it in their eyes and their facial expressions, whether they, you know, are just humoring you or whether they truly understand and believe what you're saying. And having somebody sitting before you that really understands it, both from your own studies and your own personal loss, that's, it's like somewhat imperceptible, but it's, it's picked up immediately, I think, by the, by the, the person being counseled. Absolutely. Well, you know, most communication is nonverbal. So you're really getting at that. And um, yeah, I I think there is a certain um, communication that a person who is in grief gets quite immediately as to whether or not their, their, their therapist or the person that's trying to help them is going to be responsive to that. And, 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 and quite frankly, not just responsive, but really encouraging of the person of the bereaved person to, um, to explore that whole realm and to, to stay connected or reconnect with their, with their loved ones. I think it's just an essential element of transforming grief into something that we can live with and learn from. Yeah. As opposed to it crushing us and destroying us. When I think back at some of the questions that that we get asked a lot um, in our work is people say that they're having thoughts and experiences that, should not happen in so-called normal people. Yeah. And, and then they say, how do I know if I'm imagining these things or if I'm going crazy? How, yes. how, do, you, how do you respond to that? I, I say, trust your instincts, trust your gut. You know, um, I think it's very common for people when they do have these experiences, you know, and I'm not talking about mediums. I'm talking about the average person when they have these experiences. And I know this was true for me at the very beginning, and I quickly learned no longer to do that, but to just trust, trust those signs, you know, trust, trust your instincts, trust, trust your intuition, because we all have it. And the more you trust, the more open you become. And the more open you become, the more you experience. And so that's what I say to people. Yes, of course, you're going to um, you're going to uh, question because we have that we have that logical part of our mind that always wants things to be linear and, and black and white. And then there's that other part of our mind that is more intuitive, you know, and and more more holistic. And so we have to respect that other part of our mind and kind of dispense sometimes with just that logical side of our mind. I think it's hard for people who are, you know, as people that are highly trained in logical thinking to be open to this other realm of experience, you know, not everybody by any means, you know, and I'm sure both of us know people who, you know, are scientists and yet they, they really do get that there is this other, this other realm that you can't necessarily quantify in the same way you can quantify something with a, with, with a, with an equation. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, here's a question that came in. I think it's important uh, for you to address, but uh, this person writes after losing my loved one, you know, my grief is profound. Uh, Forever family has been helpful, but how do I know if I need to seek professional help from a mental health professional? You know, that's actually a valid question even if you haven't experienced um, the loss of a loved one, you know, at what point do you need help? And, you know, there's books written about this and I'm going to give you the standard psychologist answer. And then I'm going to give you sort of like the alternative answer. I, I tend to tend to see things from more than one side. It's just sort of the way I, the way I, I roll. 
The standard answer in psychology is if it interferes with your day-to-day functioning, okay? Um, that that is, and, and well, that plus you're, you're in distress. Obviously, this person that asked this question obviously is in distress, okay? Yeah. Grief is distressing. It's extremely distressing. There's no escaping that, okay? But that doesn't mean you, you, know, you have a mental illness. And there's, there's like a whole controversy in the field actually right now about how long is grief supposed to go on before it becomes abnormal, okay? And there are some voices in psychology that say a couple of weeks, a couple of months, right? I would say there is no timeline, okay? It's it, Because it's so individual. And as we know, people grieve differently and at different paces and so on and so forth, okay? So psychology would say, you know, if it interferes with your normal day-to-day functioning, you know, and obviously if you can't get out of bed for weeks at a time, perhaps that's time to seek the help of a mental health professional. But, you know, I would say that, you know, don't judge yourself. Um, I would say give yourself time. I would say be extremely patient and compassionate with yourself the way you would with a sick child. You know, it's a good analogy. You know, any of us who have children know that if our child were, were sick, we would expect very little of our child. We would nurture and take care of our child. When you're grieving, it's a type of soul sickness. And so there's no real parameters around what's normal and what's abnormal. If you feel like you don't like the way you're operating while you're in this grieving period, certainly going and talking to somebody Unless that person isn't skilled, I wanted to say it won't hurt, but it, it would hurt if the person weren't skilled or if the person were not responsive or um, sensitive to your own system of thinking, right? If, if you're open to the afterlife, by no means would I suggest going to a grief counselor or any counselor that isn't open to the afterlife. So maybe if you feel the need, if you feel the need to talk to somebody outside of your family members, sometimes you know, the family becomes exhausted by their own grief or by the grief of one of their members. And so you want to go talk to somebody that is not in the family, somebody that's a little more so-called objective. Okay. So there's nothing wrong with that, but be careful about pathologizing grief. I'm, 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 I am personally quite sensitive to that because I've been through it myself. And I know that grief can take you down into at times the depth, the depths of despair, but with various practices and, you know, especially with connecting with your deceased loved ones, you can pull yourself out of that and you don't necessarily need medication or even therapy. Mm. And I know that you're currently involved in research in this area, but, uh, and I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways. I mean, do you find that those who believe um, in life after death do better in their grief than those who do not? Yeah, well, the studies that we're doing right now, Bob, that, that you're aware of, we haven't analyzed the data yet. So I, I want to be very careful. I don't want to, I don't want to quote that data. Yeah, uh, but we will be quoting that data. Clinical impression is that absolutely when when somebody has that understanding that, um, you know, life continues past the physical past the physical uh, body or after the physical body dies, that that is um, it, it offers hope that simply is not there if you do not have that awareness. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it necessarily takes away all of your grief. I think it's, you know, there's three, three legs to a stool. Okay. Or maybe there should be six legs to a stool because you need all three or all six legs to really 
pull yourself out of that deep pit. And I recommend, a, I always recommend a multimodal approach, but I think the, the, the foundation of the, that approach to transforming grief is, is that understanding. It's not even so much a belief, it's an understanding, it's an awareness, and it's, it's an experience ultimately of, of the afterlife and of our loved one's connection with us uh, after they leave the body. Hmm. I I mentioned uh, in the introduction that you are uh, involved in induced after death communication. Um, a lot of people are interested in that. Most people don't know what it is. So can can you take a few minutes to explain that process and what it is? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you just real quickly about my history with it. So when I I lost my daughter in 2007, my 20 year old daughter. And, you know, I was as much of a mess as you can possibly imagine. And I was a trained psychologist. I've been doing psychotherapy for many years. And I had no answers for myself, had no answers. So that's how I found you guys. And uh, it was absolutely meant to be, I'm sure. And I, I was listening to, um, I think it was, a, I don't know if it was a webinar, Bob, or was it Signs of Life Radio? You'll have to, if maybe you remember when Al was on, Al Bakken was on. Al Bakken was also yeah. a psychologist. I had some things in common with Al Bakken because he was a VA, Veterans Administration psychologist for many, many years. And I myself was a VA psychologist, not as long as Al was, but um, I was a VA psychologist as well. So I kind of felt a connection with him. He was on your your, your radio show. Right talking about induced after-death communication. And I just happened to, you know, (laughs) life being what it is, right? I just happened to be listening in. And I knew immediately when I was listening to him that this is something I wanted to access for myself. And I also knew that this was something that I wanted to learn how to do for um, for other people in in my practice. So induced after-death communication, Al Bakken developed it. But it basically is simply a modification of eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And this Al comes out very clearly and explains this um, in his book, Induced After Death Communication. And eye movement desensitization and reprocessing is a very well-respected approach. It's actually become quite mainstream these days. It started out a little bit on like the lunatic fringe, we might call it, you know, when it was developed back in the late 80s, early 90s. It was developed by accident by a psychologist by the name of Francine Shapiro. Um, and the, the way, uh, the story goes is Francine was, um, upset about something. I think she lived in New York city. If, if I remember correctly, she was upset about something. And so she went for a walk and she was walking in, um, let's say central park, I would assume, or someplace like that. And she was, there was a line of trees that her eyes were following. So, you know, if you're walking past trees, your eyes jump from one tree to the next tree, to the next tree, to the next tree. So she was doing that. And um, she was kind of processing, more or less, ruminating over what she was upset over. And obviously, I'm paraphrasing this story. And what she discovered was she felt considerably better at the end of that walk. And she kind of put it together. I mean, obviously, you're going to feel better after taking a walk than that. But it wasn't quite like that. It was more than that. And she sort of put it together that what she had been doing was moving her eyes back and forth while she was thinking about what was upsetting her. And this led her to develop this approach called um, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So the eye movement part is you move your eyes back and forth, but quite simply, like, you know, if you're thinking of, you know, like, like it's not, it's not hypnosis. So I want to be careful, you know, EMDR is not hypnosis by any means, but if you think about, you know, a hypnotist waving that pocket watch in front of your eyes and your eyes go back and forth and it makes you sleepy. Well, EMDR does something similar, only it doesn't really make you sleepy. That's not the effect it has on the brain. What it does 
is it, it basically exercises both hemispheres of the brain. So you go like right hemisphere, left hemisphere, right hemisphere, left, left hemisphere. While you're doing that, um, the, the, uh, eye movements, so you're moving your eyes, desensitization and reprocessing. So the desensitization means you're thinking about what upsets you. And what happens when you think about what upsets you while you're moving your eyes back and forth is the upsetness somehow gets reintegrated into the brain. So let's say you're thinking about the, the death of your loved one. In fact, this is something that I, I do quite a bit with people when I do IADC. Um, and I'll, I'll explain in a minute the difference between the two. So you're thinking about, say, that moment when you learned your loved one had passed on, or perhaps like a dear friend of mine just a couple of weeks ago lost her beloved husband, and he died right in front of her, okay? So these are the kinds of experiences many of us have had, unfortunately. And, you know, when you think about those experiences, it's extremely upsetting, okay? With EMDR, as well as with IADC, you think about that experience while you're moving your eyes back and forth. And what it does, something that happens in the brain, we don't really understand exactly what the pathway is, but it's as though the brain is reprocessing. That's the reprocessing part, EMDR. It's reprocessing that experience and it's placing that information that sort of in a sense, stuck in the brain, you know, when you're traumatized by something and you get these obsessive thoughts and obsessive memories and ruminations, the EMDR causes the brain to reprocess and reintegrate that information. And so that the trauma goes down, the traumatic feelings go down, the anxiety goes down. Okay. And so that you, you now, it's like your brain has taken that information and put it in its proper place. Okay, so EMDR was designed by Francine Shapiro to work with trauma, okay, to work with trauma. When I say trauma, you know, traumatic experiences, experiences that are outside of the realm of normal human experience, you know, and IADC is a modification of EMDR. It's basically a simplification of the EMDR process. EMDR is a very sort of a um, sort of a little bit of a uh, elaborate, detailed, step-by-step, rich approach that integrates a bit of cognitive therapy and and some other things that IADC has simply eliminated. And what IADC basically does is focus on two basic emotions, sadness or fear. So these are primitive emotions. And the idea with um, processing sadness, which with which IADC therapists really emphasize processing the sadness, processing the sadness, because at the core of loss, at the core of grief, really is sadness. I mean, some of us feel guilty. We should have done more. Why didn't I? Why couldn't I? You know, that old thing. Um, Or I I, I wish I'd done more for this person when they were alive. So there's there's often elements of guilt. And then there's also at times elements of, of anger. Okay, but at the core of those emotions, really deep down, what what grief is about is sadness, is missing that person, is is missing the love and the presence of that person in our lives. So IADC processes like like EMDR, we process the core of grief, which is sadness. And when you get the sadness down, the 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 anger and the guilt have no place. They, 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 they sort of vanish in the mist because you're, you're, those are more cognitive, more cognitive thought oriented feelings, but sadness is, is really the deepest feeling. It's, it's, it's sort of at the, at the base or at the core 
of grief. Now, what happens with IADC sometimes, again, no guarantee. I always say this, Al always says this, no guarantee. But a good portion of the time, what happens is there's some effect that that the eye movement, it's called bilateral stimulation, which means two-sided stimulation, bilateral. The, the bilateral stimulation does something to the brain that when the sadness go down, goes down, the brain becomes very calm. It's not a state of hypnosis. It's different than that. And when you're in that calm state and the sadness has lifted, somehow we become more receptive to signs and to contact with our deceased loved ones. There's something that happens. And mediums have actually explained this. Uh, I've heard mediums talk about sort of a similar phenomenon that when they raise their vibration in a sense, in other words, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're really in grief, you know, you're deep and dark, you know, you're angry, you're disgusted, you're hopeless. It's kind of a low vibration, but when you release all of that through IADC, it's as though your energy lifts, lifts up. It, it becomes lighter. Your frequency raises. And the mediums talk about how when they make contact, they raise their frequency. And that really makes sense to me. So what happens is a little bit of a parallel to that when we're doing IADC. The person's frequency is able to be higher and lighter, and it makes contact with our deceased loved ones um, easier to achieve. And um, yeah, it, it's fascinating. And as you say, it doesn't always work, but it works in a large percentage of people. Yes. Um, and, and it's a way of um, having a professional and it does need to be a professional that's administering, you know, the process, um, you know, help, help you through it. Uh, we have, um, you know, there are some callers that um, maybe it's time we take a call. Um, we have um, Angela um, on the line. Uh, Hello, Angela. Hello, Bob. How are you? Okay. How are you? I'm trying to do the best I can. That's um, all I, I could we, ask. We, we knew each other in our previous life in the insurance industry, oh, if you remember the, me. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I recognized the voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I have been going through uh, a lot Uh Four and a half months ago, I lost my daughter to alcoholism, my youngest daughter. Oh, no, I'm so and, sorry. Uh, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, and um, it, not only that, but in four years, I lost my only sibling, my brother, to ALS. I lost my father. And like I said, four and a half months ago, I lost my daughter. And, uh, you know, I as I was on hold waiting to speak to you. Um, you kind of covered a lot of things that I was going to ask, but the the main thing is that um, I do see a psychologist now, and I am on medication. It's people... I'm sorry, go ahead. No. Oh, you, you, uh, you people, people um, you know, they they all say, oh, you know got to go on for your other daughter and, you know, your husband and your family. And, you know, I feel that some people, uh, a lot of avoidance because they don't know what to say. Um, but the, I, I mean, we had a great relationship. We told each other we loved each other all the time. But the guilt 
is just killing me, just killing me. I think because as a mother, you're supposed to be able to help your children in whatever way you can. And although my daughter, my other daughter and I tried everything we could to get her help, for her to go to help, she thought she could control the drinking and she couldn't. And, um, she happened to drown in the bathtub, which was a terrible thing. But um, I just can't, I can't get by this. I just, I feel like, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do. It's, the grief is the worst. And I, I pray every night that I get some sort of sign because I do believe there's an afterlife. I definitely believe there's an afterlife. And people... You know, people will say, oh, you know, I I got this sign or I got that sign, and I'm not getting any signs. And I don't know if it's, like you said, because of the sadness that I just can't get over. And I just, you know, don't know what to do. I, yeah. You know, I know it hasn't been that long, but it's just yeah. not so, getting any better. So, Angela, my, my heart goes out to you, and I... I I get it. I really get it. Uh, as a mother who also lost a daughter and my daughter took her own life. So you talk about a recipe oh, for guilt. Yeah. God. You talk about a recipe for guilt, but you know, um, the guilt is misplaced. We all have our own destinies. Okay. This is something that I sort of learned through my own experience. We all have our own destiny. We all leave this planet. I believe whenever we're supposed to leave this planet, that's just my own personal take on it. Okay. I've heard mediums say the same thing when you're, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Your time. I believe that yep. too. Yep. Absolutely. And um, the last thing your daughter wants for you is to sit around feeling guilty about her. That is the last thing. Ask any medium, ask any medium. Your daughter does not want you sitting around wallowing in guilt, even though I do get it and I understand where that's coming from, okay? The guilt is totally pointless. And it probably is one of those emotions that's not that there's anything wrong with your emotions, but guilt is, is more than emotion. It's really more of an attitude. It's more of a thought. It's almost like an obsessive thought. It's like, I should have, okay? And it's like, it's sort of like backward control. And it's, that's another topic that we don't really have time to get into. But I would suggest you really work on releasing that guilt, okay? Because you, you'll, you'll turn a corner when you can do that. Releasing the guilt because you did everything you could. You loved this girl. You loved this woman. You did the best you could. And there are some things that are out of, con out of our control, okay? So releasing the guilt and recognizing the futility of the guilt and, and and focusing on just feeling your sadness and feeling it. And sometimes it's going to be like, like the wave of an ocean and it's going to overcome you. But it always recedes, okay? So we can handle, I think we can handle the sadness, even though the sadness is a very, very powerful feeling. But when we feel our sadness without getting stuck in our heads, I say, feel your feelings, but stay out of your head. You know, stop Stop turning that narrative over and over and over again, because that narrative, I should have. It's my fault. Why didn't I? That narrative is what really keeps us stuck. Okay. You think, so, so that, after, yeah, go ahead. After you were saying about um, speaking to the psychologist about life after death, do you think that's something I should speak to her about? 
I mean, it wouldn't hurt to open up the topic. I don't, I don't know your psychologist, obviously, and everybody's different as far as their own belief systems. But I, I think that exploring that realm and, and, and also working on, you know, working on various ways to make contact. And there's lots of books out there. This is the topic that Forever Family talks a lot about is how do we prepare ourselves to make contact? How do we make it more likely that we can make contact? How can we raise our frequency? How can we raise our vibration? All of those things would be good things for you to practice. I think talking to a psychologist is fine, but I by no means it's it's maybe one leg of the stool. But but if your psychologist is not open to your own beliefs, then, you know, you might want to think twice. But again, I don't, I don't know your psychologist, your psychologist may be a very fine professional. So on the website, I can find books, you suggest oh, books yes. that they're on the website. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, Bob, um, we've got, there's a list of books on the website. Um, yeah, on our, um, on the foundation website, there's by category, there's, there's recommended books. Um, hopefully okay. one day, Angela, maybe you could make it to one of our retreats. I think you'd get a lot out of it. You know? Well, I'm yeah. going to, um, it, yeah. I believe it's the zoom one on the 26th of April. Well, that's just, that's a webinar. I mean, that, you might find that's that. That's a helpful, webinar. But, I, yeah, I'm going to be there. These, and I, we, we have these weekend retreats across the country and a lot of people get a lot out of it. Well, I almost signed up for the Connecticut one, but it was during still, a bad time. So, I, <laughs> yeah, there'll be there'll be more. All I, right. Well, I, thank you. I'm, we're so sorry uh, for your loss, and, um, and and I'm sorry uh, for yours as well. Thank you. And, yes, uh, all of us. Thank you, Angela. Thank you so much for sharing you. that. Thanks for calling. Thank you for talking to me. Okay. Yes. Thanks Bye. very much. Bye. Well, we had a, there was a follow up question from somebody that said that. Uh, for many of us who experience uh, multiple spontaneous after-death communications, the contact wanes after a year or so. How successful was IADC in, at reestablishing meaningful communication for people like us after several years? So, oh, I mean, it can be. Yeah, it can yeah. be. It can be very, very um, successful. And in fact, Al recommends. Um, you know, Al trained me. Al, Al actually, let me just back up. Al, I received IADC from Al. Five months after my loss. Okay. Now, now Al has a policy that he broke in my case of waiting for one year after the loss. So actually waiting a bit, what that does is he calls it consolidation. So the, when you, when you first, and this is kind of a, a backdoor way of answering your question. When, when you first experience a loss, your feelings are all over the place, right? You're, 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 you're discombobulated really. And you know, you have, you have, Many people have anger, they have disbelief, they're in shock, they're traumatized, they're sad, they're guilty. All of these different feelings are, are there's, so there's many pieces, as we say, of, of the grief. And over time, and I've observed this in myself, I've observed this in my clients, that over time, those pieces kind of all kind of get consolidated into primarily sadness, sadness and longing, which is kind of a related to sadness. So, so Al normally recommends that people wait a year before getting IADC. In my case, I, I he was he was very kind to do IADC with me at five months, but I was in so much pain. I it was almost like I I I couldn't take it anymore. I, I really needed something, and it 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 really helped me tremendously, even at that point. And I had a very powerful after death communication uh, myself d- during that experience. 
So, so the length of time, um, if, if, if you've, your, your grief has been, you know, for two years or three years or even longer, that doesn't change the effectiveness of ID, IADC. And in fact, it, in some cases, depending, you know, on the, on the individual, it can really, um, increase it because the, the, the grief is consolidated into primarily sadness. Okay. That's for the average person and everybody, of course, um, is different. So remember, it's about, you know, it's, it's, it's not just about IADC. IADC is a wonderful treatment. I, I find it very effective. Obviously, no treatment is effective for everybody. That's just, that doesn't exist. That also doesn't exist for medical treatments, as we well know. Not everybody responds to the treatments the same way. But it, but it really does help. Now, let me make a, a quick point. Even when somebody, during the treatment itself, even in those cases when people don't have an after-death communication at that point in time, they are still helped by this treatment because it brings the sadness down considerably mm. for most people, yeah. for most people. Okay. So absolutely. I do believe that it can be uh, helpful to people, no matter how far you are, how far out, out you are from your loss. Mm. You know, over the years, um, I don't experience it much anymore, you know, when I'm involved in, you know, with FFF members, but uh, on the outside, I find that sometimes the the bringing up the subject of of life after death to people who are mourning um, is interpreted as, as saying something hurtful, as if the suggestion that their loved one could still exist in some form diminishes the depth of their grief. Um, you know, I, do, do some people become defined by their grief? That's a danger. Yeah. That's a danger. In, in, in a related phenomenon um, is being afraid to let go of the grief. Mm. That's, a, that's a pretty common phenomenon. I think we've talked about this at various retreats. Um, and I recognize that. I remember going through that myself, although I kind of got it that, no, it's okay to let go of this grief. It's okay to feel good. It's okay to just feel the love. But the grief is sort of a bond with the deceased loved one. So we feel the grief because this person was connected to us in the physical, and we want them so badly to be in the physical. So the grief is almost like a like that, that, that connective tissue with, our, with the person who passed. And so I, and I, I really distinctly remember that moment, not so much the moment, but the juncture I was at where, you know, it's okay to let that peace go. Okay. And so that's, I think that's an important thing for people to remember. You don't need the anguish in order to feel the connection. Mm. So uh, maybe unfair of me to ask you this, but totally on a, on a personal level, do you personally believe that there's a purpose to our physical lives? Oh, you mean like a meaning and a purpose? Yeah. As opposed oh, absolutely. To yeah. Ab- yeah. Yeah. I absolutely do. Now I can't in any way, shape or form pretend to know what anybody else's purpose is. Okay. Yeah. I believe for me, there's a purpose. Okay. Sometimes I'm not sure I like that purpose, but yeah. I certainly have a conviction that that is the case. And it probably is, I believe, the case for all of us on this planet. I think we're all here for a reason. Now, that sometimes pisses people off. 
when you say that, because sometimes people really feel that life is purposeless and meaningless. And I'm not here to tell somebody that they should believe that their life has meaning and purpose. That's not my right to say that. That just is, that's my own take on it. I mean, I would love to hear what you think about that as well. Well, I have my own theory and it's too long to get into here. (laughs) Sometimes it's not well um, accepted, but but in a nutshell, um, I believe uh, unlike many of my, the uh, people, uh, mediums that we're involved with that, that life, um, physical life, is meant to be random and chaotic. It's part of a plan. So, you know, so I think that the way in which we deal with all of the shit and joy that comes into our lives affects us um, in another life, you know? So, but mm-hmm. that's, that's just me, you know, cause uh, I, you know, free will and everything really comes into, into play strong. And, you know, it, it's hard for me to believe as many people, you know, when you look at the atrocities uh, that have mm-hmm. gone on and the natural disasters and everything, that there's some uh, uh, design to that. I think it just happens how we, you know, when we're in the next dimension, it's we're going to realize this was just a, a, a real blip and a continuum of, of eternal existence. And it doesn't mean the same thing to us as it does in the physical, but that uh, I don't want to, I don't want to go on with that. I'm not sure we're that far apart in, in how we yeah. see things, quite honestly. I, yeah. I really am not. I think a lot of it is um, how you interpret things and your perspective and your response. Yeah. And that, 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 but I do think we're, I think we're on this planet for a purpose. I can, certainly can't say that, you know, the earthquake that happened in Chile 20 years ago was meant to be, and that people who lost loved ones, that that, that was somehow meant to be. I'm not sure I believe that at all. Yeah. You know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, basically that we grieve because we love, right? So um, if we didn't love, we wouldn't agree. So I don't know. I was watching, I think it was, I don't know if I was reading it or I was watching a TV, a movie. And yeah, I think it was, it was a movie and, and uh, there were actually androids, you know, with, with with the subjects and, and the programmer of the android said, you know, what the android said to the programmer, I want you to eliminate all memories, you know, of my deceased loved one so that, you know, I, I won't grieve anymore. And that got me thinking, if you would suggest to somebody, either a friend or a patient or a colleague that was grieving, if they would have preferred that they had never known their deceased loved one, so therefore they wouldn't be going through this grief, um, you know, what would they say? I, yeah. would, I would anticipate they would say, no, of course I, I, you know, I, I cherish, you know, the time that I had with them and I, you know, yes. but I, I guess you think there would be some people that would rather have the memory erased. Nobody that I know yeah. would want that. You know, I, I think it is normal and natural for us to love. I think we were built to love and without that love, you know, Yes, of course, we wouldn't have the grief and we wouldn't have the sadness. Look, here's the interesting thing. A parallel, sort of, is marriage and divorce. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they say about 50% of divorces and some 50% of divorces, 50% of marriages and divorce. It's probably some 
you know, sloppiness with that statistic, but say give or take. Okay. That's a mm-hmm. lot. That's a lot of divorces. Yeah. When you walk, when you walk down the aisle, you don't think you're going to be in that 50%. Okay. And so you go through this, you know, you go through a intense relationship with somebody enough that you want to marry them. You might even have kids with them and then you end up getting divorced. Okay. And I do a lot of couples therapy, as you probably know, and uh, work with people also who are going through this. And it's a type of death. It really is. It's a type of death. In fact, some people kind of sardonically say that, depending upon how the divorce goes, that they'd rather their partner had died than go through this divorce. Okay. But it is a type of death. And yet look at the number of people who repartnered, who repartner after divorce. Look at the number of people who, you know, remarry after divorce. A lot of people do. Not everybody does, but a lot of people do. Okay. Which is sort of the, they say it's the triumph of hope over experience, you know, but, but it is sort of like choosing love again, you know, choosing to take that risk again. So that's kind of a backhanded way of answering your question. I don't think, you know, most people would say, oh, I wish I'd never even known that person because I now I wouldn't be going through that. I think people have thoughts like that. People have all sorts of thoughts when they're going through grief, you know, when, when, when they've lost a loved one. You know, but such as I wish it had been me instead, or I wish I could have gone with him. Right. Those are pretty normal thoughts to have. Yeah, I had them. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And I totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah. Um, I know you you often speak about these things in depth and in your talks, but, you know, grief is often described as as coming in waves. So so when one's at the, the bottom crest of one of those waves of sadness, uh, are there a couple of things that you could suggest uh, on ways to dig out? Yeah. So, you know, it's like, um, you know, when, when you're in the ocean, I'm not a big ocean swimmer, but I know enough that when, you know, the a wave is, is going to overtake you, you dive into the wave, right? You dive into the wave. You don't resist it. You dive into the wave and then it, it washes over you. And it's kind of like that. It's a good analogy. You let yourself feel what you feel till you don't feel it anymore. There's, it, I know that it sounds contradictory. It sounds paradoxical. Um, but, you know, let yourself feel the feelings. So many of us are afraid of our feelings. Really, you know, grief can be kind of scary, right? It's yeah. so intense, right? It's so powerful. You feel like you're going to die. You really do. Sometimes you wish you would die, okay? But letting yourself feel the sadness without getting into the narrative. My life is over. Life is meaningless. Um, You know, uh, you know, my, 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 my existence is worthless. All of these thoughts that we have, that's what keeps us stuck in the depths of grief. Okay. But if you have those thoughts, you have those thoughts, but the thoughts aren't helpful, but the feeling, feeling the feelings, the nature of, of the human being is such that feelings always shift if you don't resist them. So there's that. So letting yourself feel that. And, you know, I'm sure many people will relate to this. Many listeners relate to this. You'll probably relate to this, Bob, but you know, you're walking into a drugstore, you know, or a pharmacy and there's a song on the radio and you burst into tears. Okay. Let yourself burst into tears. Let yourself feel that feeling because that, that song reminds you of your loved one. Seems, it seems like uncanny how often that can happen, you know? Yeah. Um, so letting yourself feel those feelings and they will subside just like the waves of the ocean hit the shore and they always subside. It's a good analogy 
for our emotions. The other one is, and this, this is one that it's very difficult to talk about because it's so paradoxical. Because when we lose somebody, it's so intolerable. And it's so unacceptable. You know, I remember thinking that to myself when my daughter passed. This is unacceptable. This is just, I, this isn't, this is just unacceptable, right? And it was, it was unacceptable. But when I got to the point where I could accept that it, 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 this is what happened. This is what happened. This is, this is, this has happened. And instead of pushing against it and, and, like like hitting yourself against that brick wall over and over and over again, trying to change the structure of the wall, and it doesn't change, but to say, okay, the wall is here, it is what it is, okay? There, It changes the energy. It changes the energy of your grief. It, it makes, it lightens it. It makes it, it makes it, 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 Eckhart Tolle talks about it, it puts space around the grief. So the grief is not just pushing at you and, and, filling you completely up and, and, um, you know, causing you to, uh, to crumble, you put a little space around, you put the space of acceptance around it and it makes it bearable. And I found that that was really where that was really a turning point for me. And it took me a while. I mean, I, I I knew it intellectually, but I couldn't bring myself into that place emotionally. And then as I began to sort of, you know, kind of edge my way towards that, I found that there was a lifting, there was a relief. Mm-hmm. And I remember the, the physical pain of grief and how that motivated me. It was it was literally like, you know, like if you have a headache, a bad headache, you, you'll do almost anything to get rid of it, right? It was kind of like that. I felt like I, I would do almost anything to get rid of this physical pain of grief, that it was it was it was intolerable. And and those two things that I just mentioned were were operative in really helping me to inch out of that place. You know, and that doesn't mean that it, it now it's not life is fun. It it's it it made the the intolerable tolerable. It made the unbearable bearable, and it it gave my life you know some meaning and purpose again. Thanks for that. Um, I know we're we only have about five minutes left, but we have um, David on the line from Australia. Okay. Hey, David. Hi. Hi, David. Yeah. Um, I just got a quick question since you've got five minutes. That's great. Um, Dr. Hannah, what is the ADC you had? When I, when I was receiving the treatment myself? Yeah. Is that what you're asking me? That is. Yeah. Um, so I want to be careful when I say this because ADCs come in very many different shapes and forms. Okay. Um, so I don't want people to think that this is the way to have an ADC. There are many, many ways through all of our different senses, through our five senses, we can have ADCs. Okay. You know, probably people, you know, see things, hear things, sense things, you know, feel things, but mine was very visual. Um, it was actually, honestly, quite, quite honestly, it was like my daughter's face surrounded by light appeared sort of, it, it, it's kind of hard to describe this, but it, it was like a vision of her. And and she was, it was her face surrounded by light. That was my experience, okay? And what's interesting is that, that, that image never really left me. Once I had that image, and it was right at the end of treatment, that's when the ADCs are most likely to happen. It's when you get the grief down 
we call it getting it to a zero. So, so if it's, it starts at a 10, you get it to a zero. Hopefully, not everybody can get it to a zero. Maybe you can only get it to a two. But I was able to get it during that treatment to a zero, and that's when it occurred. And I can't explain it. All I can tell you is that was my experience. And that really, that, that image has stayed with me. If so, if I close my eyes and go into meditation, that image comes back to me. This isn't something I usually share because it's it's very personal and it's very individual. And everybody has their own, the, the place in their heart where their loved one speaks to them is, is very unique and very individual. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, well, um, thank you for sharing. That That's yours and no one can take it away. That's right. Yeah. Okay, be well, David. Thanks, Thanks for calling in. Thanks for calling, Thank David. Um, bye. Bye. We, and we've got uh, only a minute or two. Um, you know, you're so knowledgeable about these things. Like, I'm afraid to ask you another question because we're going to be looking at a time. But <laughs> you can ask me anything. A, a quick one. Um, what do you What are your thoughts about the the stages of, of grief model? Um. I think there's some validity to it. You know, that's been around a long time. You know, that, that's, that, that, that's been around long before the, um, you know, sort of like the psycho-spiritual elements of grief therapy came into being. You know, I remember reading Kubler-Ross when I think I was in college. Um, I, I think that it can be um, helpful, but I also think it can be not so helpful because people think they need to conform to that trajectory of grief, you know, the different stages and stuff. On the other hand, I think Kubler-Ross made some very good points. And I think the, you know, the the, the anger and the the depression and the acceptance, you know, and, and so forth do seem to be present in many people's grief experience, uh, grief experience or grief trajectory, but by no means do people follow some predictable path. I, I, I'm sure you see it too, Bob, because you interact with people intimately about their grief process. Yeah. And yeah. people are at all different stages at all different times, you know. Yeah, exactly my personal experience. You know, I had yes. all, all the stages were all mixed in together. So I, I found it somewhat silly to try yeah. to delineate them. Well, we have reached the end of the, of our time. I mean, thank every I thank everybody for listening. Um, I will say, you know, over the past 20 years, as you could imagine, working in this field, I've met um, an awful lot of people, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of people. And I still consider Dr. Hannah to be one of the most knowledgeable and <laughs> insightful people that I know. So uh, it's always a pleasure. And we, we so appreciate all the work that she does for the foundation. So with Thanks that, so I much, Bob. you're welcome. Thanks for being here. And everybody have a good evening. We'll be back next week with the gathering where we answer all your afterlife-related questions. Uh, Have a good evening. Bye for now. Thank you. Mm